0: The Mac Observers Mac Geek Gab, episode number 634 for Sunday, December 4th. Happy birthday, kiddos! 2016. <laughs> Folks, And welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, uh, the show that's like card talk for Apple Geeks. Yeah, we answer your questions, we share your tips, we share your cool stuff found together. The goal is we all each and every one of us want to learn at least four new things every time we get together. Sponsors for this episode include Drobo, we're at drobostore.com. Coupon, coupon code, easy for me to say, coupon code MGG20 saves you 20%. VideoBlocks, where at videoblocks.com slash MGG. You can save 100 bucks on a subscription to VideoBlocks and AudioBlocks. Casper, where are at casper.com slash MGG. Coupon code MGG saves you 50 bucks. And Eero, we're at Eero.com. Coupon code MGG gets you free expedited shipping. We'll talk more about all of them a little bit later here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. And here
1: in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. Greetings, John F. Braun. How you doing, man? Greetings. <clears throat> who, who's, who has a birthday? Uh, both
0: of my kids. Yeah, they were born uh, same day, two years apart. Believe it or else. Wow. How'd they pull that off? Uh, it. You know, it was all actually, it, there was no intentional timing of it and everything turned out to be natural births and all that. But, um, yeah, yeah. It just, it's just how it worked out. So they're really colluding. They, yeah, it's right. Yeah. Yeah. We always, we always said we wanted to have boy and a girl two years apart. And then it was like, well, we got to be careful what we wish, wish for here. This is uh, it's uh a little weird, but yeah. Yeah. So they, uh, 15 and 17 for those kiddos today, which is amazing. But what's even more amazing is all the fantastic quick tips that we have to share with you all. And we're going to start with one from Patrick, I believe, if I can get myself organized here. Yeah. Patrick says, um, I have a tip for Apple Mail. When you occasionally have an email that you might want to save into more than one folder sporadically. So copying an email instead of just moving it. Hold down the option key and drag the email to the folder or then folders that you want. This keeps it the copy in the original inbox to act on, but also puts it into the multiple other folders that you need it in for safekeeping. So this is very, very similar to the finder. I never thought to do this in mail, but uh, but it works and you can indeed just copy things. In the, and as a follow up quick tip, if you didn't know this, if you want to copy something in the finder, the same thing holds true keep option key down while you drag something and it will make a copy of it instead of just uh, moving it. So very cool. Thanks, Patrick. I had no idea that existed. Did you know that existed, John?
1: I did. It's weird because yeah, the, the, well, the option, I, I didn't know there was a keyboard shortcut. Yeah. Of course you can also select the option. If you go to message copy to sure when you highlight one. Sure. Yeah. Cause cool. at first I was like, you know, a lot of things you hold down the option key and you see the menu options change. And I'm like, They didn't change. It's like, Oh, because it's already there. It's right there. Yeah. Paul sends in a quick
0: tip. uh, That's a very new quick tip. He, he, and it initially started uh, where he asked a question. He said he wanted to delete the Siri icon from the control strip on his new MacBook pros touch bar and apologies to everyone whose iPhones just woke up because I said that magic word. Uh, And, and then he, he dug in a little deeper And he said, uh, if you hold down an icon on the control strip, they start to jiggle and the control strip icons miraculously appear so you can alter them. Or if you hold down an icon on the touch bar, uh, they jiggle. And he says you can delete them, too. So uh, just holding down until it starts jiggling on the control strip and then everything there in the touch bar will jiggle and you can either move them them around or delete them. So thanks for that, Paul. I know that's handy for people that don't like to use S.I.R.I. On their, um, <laughs> on their Macs yet, I haven't gotten into using any of that on my Mac. I don't know about you, John. I, hmm, I, I can very do iOS, online. very iOS like. Yes, very iOS like. Yeah, which makes sense because it's a touch interface, so it makes sense that it would follow mm-hmm. iOS. Yeah. All right, Ken. Let's see what Ken has to say here. Ken says, uh, "I have some tips for Apple Watch." And touch ID Uh, first is he loves the bands, watch bands from Juke design, J U U K design. So I guess this is, is more of a uh, cool stuff found to start this with than a quick tip. But he says uh, a long time ago, I got a 42 millimeter stainless steel with the Milanese loop band. I needed a band that was easy to put on and off. And I wanted the stainless steel link bracelet, but it was too expensive. And so he got the Juke Revo polished for less than half the price of the Apple link bracelet. And, uh, and so we'll put that in the show notes and a tip. uh, There's somewhere here is a tip. I think yes. Touch ID. uh, Oh, does he have a tip for touch ID? You know, I don't, Think, Oh, yeah. He says, uh, ever since I updated my iPhone 5S to iOS 10, I've been having trouble with Touch ID on my phone. It works fine on my wife's iPhone 6, and she's also using iOS 10. My 5S worked great with iOS 9 and earlier. If I press the home button too long, like maybe a quarter of a second too long, I see voice control. After I turned on SIRI, no matter how long I push the home button when the phone is locked and the screen is dark, it unlocks. But like when I removed the USB cable, it's still locked, but the screen is lit for a few seconds. Uh, He says, I chatted with Apple support five times. All of them were great, but on the last chat, I was transferred to a senior advisor and he solved it. The solution is go to settings, general accessibility, home button, and turn the toggle switch for rest finger to open. So evidently that had gotten flipped off and he needed to flip it on. So... Thank you very much for that tip thats It's easy to forget about those things and and uh and you can have it drive you crazy so settings general accessibility home button thanks for that man that's uh that's crazy, crazy stuff but um, but that's how it works.
1: yeah actually uh, welcome the change in behavior because for many of us, the problem was you put your finger on the home button and it immediately unlocked the phone and a lot of people didn't like that so right right oh, that's true yeah, yeah. I still, actually, I, uh, so yeah, by default, I think it's, they turn it on where you have to click the home button again to get to your. Right. That's right. And I think I kind of like that. Yeah. I didn't like, like, again, like many, it was Touch ID is too fast. (laughs) Yeah. Slow down.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. And then uh, a different Ken, I believe. Is it a different Ken? Nope. Same Ken actually has another quick tip here. He uh, he noted, he said uh, in Safari, if you have lots of things open as tabs, if you move the icon uh, or if you move the uh, tab all the way to the left of the tab bar, it will switch from being a wide tab to a tiny little icon. And what the and, and the and the reverse is true. You can you can move things when they are icons out uh, into being tabs. And when they are icons, those are called pinned tabs. And they will stay there even if you open a new blank Safari window. Uh, the nice part is they're not actually loading the contents of those tabs. So if you've got something like a Google Doc in there that's just going to chew up RAM, you don't have to worry about it until you click on it. But it is a nice way to have, especially if you've got some stuff where you're always going. Like I have my starred Google Docs as one of my pin tabs so that I can quickly get there. And it's always in any browser window I need. And it's always just way over on the left. So you can create those either by choosing uh, to pin this tab when you're on the tab or choosing to just drag the tab over in the tab bar. So thanks for that, man. Good stuff. Moving to Michael. Uh, Michael says, I just heard you you guys discussing ripping movies and it reminded me a tip of a tip I'd like to share. I've used several external Blu-ray units to rip the disc, but had the same problem with all of them. After completing the rip, I couldn't eject the disc without physically unplugging the USB connector and plugging it back in. Only then could I press the physical button and eject the disc. However, I learned that ejecting using the command line tool, drutil space eject external, or sorry, drutil space eject space external Always works, but only after closing the make MKV app to rip. I made a keyboard maestro shortcut with this command. Not sure if others have this problem, but it works very consistently for me. And and that will work. Drutil eject external um, should do that no matter what. The thing is, uh, if you should also be able to do this in the finder just by dragging the or uh, by either dragging it to the trash or or clicking the little eject icon that's right next to the disk, but but certainly you can do it from here too, right, John?
1: Yeah, that's interesting, and it looks like there's two variations. Well, if you have an internal, so uh, you can say drutil space eject space external, right? Or internal if you have both, I guess. Yes, yes. So it looks yes. like if you just say eject and you only have a single one, it's smart enough though. So, that's really weird, because as far as I know, that's a standard signal. You know, you said yeah. that anytime I have to eject something, the eject. Well, no, he wants to eject. To he, so I think his problem is he
0: can't push the button on the external on the third party external unit to actually get the tray to slide out. And uh, and that's because the disk is still considered mounted by Mac OS. So by doing this, you tell Mac OS it's, it's now uh-huh. ejected okay. and then you can eject the, then you can actually have the, the tray physically move. So that's what, uh, that's what that little trick is there. So
1: it's good yeah, stuff. I'm going to be, I'm going to be getting one of those soon. Oh, I put ex- it on my
0: list. External, uh, Blu-ray Yeah, that's one you recommended. Yeah. Just the Amazon one or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's like 30 bucks or something. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, so, so uh, no put it, g- give us, give us a link to it so we can put it in the show notes so people know, cause those. They they work really well. Um, it's good stuff. I've I've had great luck with it for ripping discs. I'll uh, put I'll put a, I'll put a uh, placeholder in the show notes for it, then we can add the link in a moment. All right, uh, and then lastly uh, on our quick tips here, we have one from Dave. He says. Messages and reminders, and probably other apps, will throw up notifications even when those apps are not open. So, if you are on a speakerphone or and a message comes in or a reminder triggers, then that disturbs the call. If you were sharing your desktop with Webex or GoToMeeting, the nof- notification banner would appear and be visible to whomever was in the meeting. You can suppress all that by putting notifications into Do Not Disturb mode, and there's a couple ways to do that uh, on El Capitan and later. A quick way to enable do not disturb mode is to click on the notifications icon in the top right, select the notifications panel and do a two finger drag or a scroll. If you happen to have a scroll wheel uh, to the notification list to reveal an on off slider for the do not disturb feature. And indeed it is. It's right up at the top of that list. But you have to scroll up to get there and. Uh, A much quicker way to do it is to simply option click the notifications icon. This is the one that typically lives in the upper right corner of your menu bar. And if you option click that icon, it toggles do not disturb mode on or off. When you turn it off, it is off for 24 hours. And that's whether or not it it doesn't matter whether you do the the little slider switch or if you hit the option click. So that'll it'll turn it off for 24 hours. But if you forget to turn it back on, then uh, it will come back on tomorrow. So great tip. And I know we've shared that one before, but that's a, uh, it's a good one to remember.
1: It's one of those, one of those fun little ones. Good, John. Yes. Nice. Cool. I really use that feature. I put all my stuff to sleep at night.
0: Oh yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it's more like, like now, right? When we're doing the show, do you need all that stuff coming in? I, I sometimes (sighs) will, will kill notifications for like, if I'm heads down on something. So, Good, or like he said, sharing my screen if I'm on a conference call or something and, and sharing my screen, it's nice to just kill the notifications, and that way nobody has to see that you know, it's emails coming in about what's for dinner or whatever. So, uh, all right, a couple more tips that I wouldn't qualify as quick tips, but tips just the same. Thomas has a comment about uh, in show 632, he says. Dave mentioned that Firefox does not use Mac OS's system proxy server. That's not true. Firefox uses uh, this, has this as an option uh, from many years ago in the system wide proxy configuration. There was a time where that was not there, but uh, if you go into the Firefox proxy settings, today with version 50 presumably later says there i see five possible settings one is no one is auto detect from this network one is to use the system proxy another is a manual proxy and then uh, an automatic proxy with proxy uh with the url so thank you for that that's uh that's handy i had, i had i misspoke because i i was thinking Um, I was remembering that Firefox could do the manual proxy, which is nice if you want to do something different, but not have it impact your entire system. I forgot that Firefox could also inherit the system proxy if you want. So thanks, Thomas. Much appreciated. From uh, anything on that, John, before I move on to Mike's quick tip here.
1: No, I think your recollection is correct that one version, at least one past version, did what you said, but not
0: anymore. Okay, yeah. Yeah, but you still can do the manual proxy, which is handy. Um, there was a while where I was I had a router because I test routers all the time. And uh, on the subject of routers, yes, obviously, we did our deep dive last week. Thank you all so much for all your comments, your tips, your questions. We're going to um, hold those for a week and do a follow up on the on the router discussion next week. So, so any of your lingering questions and all that stuff, we're not ignoring them. We just didn't want this to become nothing but router geek gab, so like we do with our deep dives, we always wait a week or two to kind of
1: deal with the uh, the, the follow-up and the aftermath. So those are yeah. coming, yeah, because I'm still fighting an epic network battle that I won't go into detail.: We all are. yeah. I'm, <laughs> well, uh, we're all fighting a battle., yes, are that's we hate. Right. <laughs> I think about life. That's right, yeah <laughs> um, All right,
0: and also from 632 we have a comment from Mike. He said regarding episode 632, where Dave says he wants a clone app that notifies upon safety net usage. What Apple needs is a setting in the get info of a folder that says and does cannot trash added to the shared folder and locked option. Maybe one day. So that's interesting, Mike. Yeah, if, if there was I mean, you can do this with permissions, but that, that gets a little wonky uh, for you know, the, the average user to do, but you certainly could set permissions in a way that you couldn't delete the folder or at the very least needed um, administrative access to delete a folder. But, uh, but being able to set the, just with a checkbox to say, you know, do not let this folder get deleted. That would be handy.
1: Here's what you can do. Yeah. And I think you can still do this folder actions. Yeah. I'm listening. I'm looking developer. Yeah, folder actions is a feature of macOS that lets you associate AppleScript scripts with folders. A folder action script is executed when a folder to which is attached. I haven't done one of these in a while, but you may be able. Yeah. Huh. Brush up, brush up on your folder actions. It, it sounds like if something accesses the folder, you can fire off an Apple script. right? So have it fire one off saying, hey. <laughs> oh, I like that idea.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it just says, hey, dum-dum. Don't delete it.
1: And yeah. it looks like it's still it's still a feature. Yeah, because I explicitly searched for folder actions in Mac OS, and I found an article really using the term Mac OS. So, based on that use of that terminology, I would say that's something that's still supported. Yay. Yeah, for now, <laughs> for now. Yeah, with, with Sal gone, who knows? Well, they well, they, uh, they let the automation guy go. Right? Yeah, Sal. Yeah, 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 Sal Segoyan. Uh, great guy was guy. responsible for development of those tools. Right.
0: Or, yeah. And really or... he was responsible for the development of them, but also really the internal champion at Apple um, that, that a lot of management, as I understand it was, was, um, was m- just mostly afraid of um, b- because he was kind of crazy. It still is. But I mean, and, and, and mm-hmm. I say crazy, but mm-hmm. in a very good way, I, I actually consider Sal a dear friend and um, it, it, I've heard stories, not from Sal, but from other people about how he would like, weasel to make sure that, uh. that certain features would get included. And, and, you know, like, like there, there was just a lot of horse trading in, in the, uh, in the background of, of Apple to make sure that these automation features were, were kept alive in various builds of, of Mac OS and, and OS 10 prior. So,
1: yeah. Yeah. That gives people that are into uh, building and releasing software, the heebie jeebies. <laughs> it's like, you know what caused that bug? It was somebody putting something in at the last minute, even though it had been valid. Well, this wasn't stuff at the last <laughs> minute.
0: It was more just, you know, like, hey, oh. don't get rid of this. Let's keep this here. Let's prioritize this to make sure it gets included, that kind of thing. And it was there was as I as I hear a lot of, uh, you know, horse trading and maybe sports tickets okay. were passed around and that sort of thing. Yeah, it was it was mostly threats and bribes, you know. Yeah. And Sal's a big guy. You know, uh, I I I don't know which is more effective from Sal, threat or a bribe. And I don't know that. I, again, this is all hearsay. I've I've uh, but sure. I've, I've heard it said by a lot mm-hmm. of people,
1: just not Sal. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can yeah. understand the concern about automation tools. I mean, you know, look at Skynet. That's oh, I have no when- concern over automation tools. What?
0: They're awesome. We use them like we couldn't be doing this show without automation tools. Like, seriously, I'm, I'm really. I, th- but this is interesting because I was thinking about this the other day. I have to assume that there's one of two reasons that Sal is gone. Either number one, Apple doesn't prioritize autom- automation, um, user accessible automation. I'm not worried about developers because that's different. Uh, but user accessible automation like apple script and um automator either apple doesn't prioritize those or somebody at apple that was higher up than sal cuz sal sal was there for a long time but there's people higher up than him uh didn't get along with him and decided he needed to be gone and and i don't i i'm just saying those are in my mind the two possible scenarios and i i don't know uh which of those it was but if um You know, that's so, but I started thinking if it's the former and Apple really doesn't prioritize automation down the road, what do we have left? And keyboard maestro is something that, that comes to mind because more and more of the automation that I do is actually happening inside of keyboard maestro and not happening with Apple script or, um, or automator. In fact, you know, when I say that I need automation to make this show happen, It's true, but a lot of the heavy lifting now, in fact, might even be with the new feature that we're using today with the integrated show notes um, where we integrate both the chapters and the show notes on the web page. I think maybe I'm only using Keyboard Maestro now. So that's interesting, right? Is is third parties can do some of this stuff. So Keyboard Maestro is something to keep an eye on. So... Mm -hmm. Uh, That's my, that's my feeling. I love, and and if you haven't messed around with keyboard maestro, it's awesome. It really is. I I put up a piece um, earlier this week uh, about how to make keyboard, how to, how to do um, podcast chapters with keyboard maestro, because that's what I do. And the, uh, and so I will, I will put a link into the show notes for that piece, mostly so that you can just see some screenshots of what keyboard maestro's automation looks like and that might give you an idea of what you could do um in terms of uh, you know being able to to automate your mac without automator or apple script hmm. so it's pretty cool um it how you know it's it's automator ish in fact it i would say it's a it's a hybrid of automator and apple script because you can do some code type stuff and you'll see that in my my uh my screenshots here. Cause I have to do some time calculations and that sort of thing. So, um, so I highly recommend keyboard maestro. It also has a clipboard manager in it and all of that stuff too. And lots and lots of other things, but, but this scripting thing is pretty powerful and it'll sync scripts. So I have a synced script library. So it's on the same on all my Macs. I don't have to think about it. I think I'm doing it with Dropbox. In fact, I'm 99% certain I'm syncing it with Dropbox, but, um, but it works great. I really I really like it. So, just throwing that out there. Hey, uh, all right. So, let's see where we're at here, John. Oh, yeah. One more tip. And this comes from Allison Sheridan over at uh, podfeet.com at NozillaCast. She was listening to us talking about photos and the all photos versus actual photos in the app on iOS and what. Photos were where? And she says, I think I can clear up the confusion. Photos is all of your photos in chronological order. All photos is all of your photos in the order in which they were added to your library. So let's say we're at CES, she says, and we both take photos. A month after CES, I send you a zip file of one of the ones I took. You drag that into photos. If you look in photos, the images I took and the images you took will be all intermingled as they were taken on the same date. But if you look in all photos, mine will be shown at the bottom and yours will be shown back a ways with any photos you took in between our two piles. Does that make sense? Good naming convention, huh? Yes. I think one photos list with a sort by dropdown might be a little bit simpler for us as the users. But what do we know? So anyway, I throw that out there, John. Good. Yeah, I'm going to throw it back. OK, I don't want it. <laughs> well, that's sort of how that goes. Hey, I, what I do want to do, though, is talk about our uh, first two sponsors. Can we do that, John? Excellent. All right. Our first sponsor today is someone I'm very happy to welcome back to Mac Geek Gab here. And that is Drobo. Drobo builds, Drobo builds an entire family of Safe, expandable, easy to use storage arrays that are designed to protect your important data forever. Now, you'll note that I said storage arrays and not RAID. That's because Drobo's technology is called Beyond RAID. That means when you put a new drive in your Drobo or you replace an existing drive with something larger, your capacity, the new capacity is available instantly. With RAID, you don't get that. You have to wait until everything's bigger. Not with Drobo. With Beyond Raid, you get the new capacity instantly. Well, I say instantly. you got to wait about 10 seconds for the new drive to spin up. And then it's available. So this works well. And Drobo can be configured to protect against either one or two simultaneous hard drive failures and still keep your data safe. It can even keep your data safe if there's a sudden power outage, which as you folks know here is important to me. So you can do things with a Drobo like backup your data, right? Time machine support uh, storage for all your digital photos, storage for your, your music and your videos. And it can do all this with a very, very easy to use management interface that runs as an app on your Mac. Even better Drobo this month and this month only. So only until the end of 2016. So don't forget, you're going to get busy at the end of this month. So do this now. Visit drobostore.com. They're offering 20% or more off of their Drobo 5D, their Drobo 5DT. Those are both connected with either USB 3 or Thunderbolt 2 or their Drobo 5N, which is network-attached, or anything larger than that, 8-bay, they even have 12-bay network systems. They're offering at least 20% off, sometimes even more. All you have to do is use coupon code MGG20, MGG20, used at drobostore.com, is where you're going to get that discount. Our sincere thanks to Drobo for coming back and sponsoring Mac Geek our second sponsor today is Videoblocks at videoblocks.com slash MGG. This is where you can go to check out VideoBlocks' awesome subscription-based stock media library. This is one of the coolest web interfaces I've ever seen. If you're looking for Video footage of any kind, any length, even if you're just making like your family holiday videos and you want to pull some cool stuff in, Videoblocks is exactly the right library to do this, right? You can can intersperse things. You can do it all inside iMovie. It's great. They've got over 115,000 video clips. And with their subscription, unlimited daily downloads of any of those. How much is the subscription? Well, normally it's 249, but if you go to videoblocks.com/mgG, you save 100 bucks off of that 149. You also get a subscription to audio blocks, which is the same kind of thing, but for audio clips, again, searching for anything you want, these are professionally built and tailored. visit videoblocks.com/mgg. you'll save 100 bucks off of their subscription pricing. And that gets you one year. Anything you download during that year is royalty free for both personal and commercial projects without any additional licensing fees. And that license to you goes past the year. So even if your subscription lapses, you can't download anything new, of course, but anything that you've already downloaded and put into a project you're good to go. Check it out. videoblocks.com/mgG. Our thanks to Videoblocks for sponsoring this episode. All right, now let's talk about joy. Joy has uh, she's got a couple of questions actually. She says, "I'm looking for a secure email solution, and notice that Proton Mail is based in Switzerland." And it received a lot of press and signups after the uh, recent U.S. election. I wanted your thoughts on that product. And we'll, and I'll just read both questions and we can talk about them. They're both actually totally separate, so I could read them separately. But we're not going to. I really enjoy your podcast and always learn more than three things. Well, I hope so, because today's limit, lower limit is four. Uh, she says, I like to listen to it while I'm doing something else, but always seem to have to stop to make a note of something interesting. She says, I listen with downcast." Uh, I sure wish there was a way of making a bookmark while I was listening the first time to a podcast so that I could go back with paper and pen to take notes on the section that I made a bookmark on. Do you know of any podcast apps that have this feature? And the the interesting thing is, yes, I do know of a podcast app that has this feature, but only for a specific podcast. You're in luck, though, Joy. It's for this one. Our Mac GeekGab iOS app, which is available for free in the App Store, has, if you go into settings inside the app, an auto bookmark function. And when you turn that on, it will automatically generate a bookmark right where you are when the playback is toggled from play to pause and back to play within three seconds. So that's your signal to tell the app, drop me a bookmark here in this episode, and it will do just that. So you're listening and you just do right now, you hit pause. Pause. And then you hit play quickly again. And now a bookmark's dropped and you're moving along. So cool stuff, right? Did you know we had that, John? Oh, sure. Yeah, okay. You said all the time. Yeah, I'm sure you do. Yeah, have <laughs> no doubt. Yep. You, know, <laughs> you try to pause me while I'm talking sometimes just to drop a bookmark, I think. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's right. Uh, so that's podcast bookmarks. In terms of secure email, I've heard a lot about... Um, proton but i have not checked it out have you checked out proton or any other secure email uh providers john
1: uh, kind of okay. well, some of the ones that we use already are yeah it's a, i'll have to look at what they're what they're doing here it seems to involve uh I mean, so in theory, you can have secure email already using certificates, but... Um,
0: this sort of manages the process of, of doing that and and somehow guarantees end-to-end encryption. I, I would assume that both people would need to be using Proton or if one person's using Proton and the other's using some kind of either PGP or S-MIME, maybe that's how that works. We got to dig into this, though. This is an interesting question, John.
1: yeah. Again, one thing that I see. So they offer an app. So at first I'm like, oh, okay. Well, you got to use their app to have secure email. So that's one way to solve the problem is that you don't use a sure, you know, a built-in app where really the only way to secure things. Well, one, you can secure the network traffic. Two, you can secure the contents by using a certificate. Right. Um, right. And Proton's have, securing the contents. It's end-to-end yeah. encrypted. Yep. Yeah. If you ins- and you know, But then I see they offer a web version. I'm like, oh, well, in that case, all right, well, at least for the transport, you use SSL or TLS. Sure. The browser, and that offers some level of security. They're still dealing with how you secure the, the contents on their server, and they claim that they do a great job, and it's hidden beneath the thousands of pounds of rock, so yay. Right. <laughs> right, right. But I have to look at, at all the touch points here, Um Anybody else, uh, if, if any,
0: any of you have have thoughts on, on what secure email to use, send us uh, an email, either secure or insecure, to feedback at MacGeekab.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this, too, because um, every email we send out, if you send us a note and we reply, we usually include our MacGeekHub S-MIME certificate.
1: So, yeah, and the address on that certificate is feedback. At macgeekab.com, Dave. That's correct. The address
0: on the certificate is feedback at macgeekab.com. And then we have another certificate that has premium at macgeekab.com for those folks when we're sending an email to our premium uh, subscribers, which uh, which we thank you for. But uh, but yeah, so and, and then once we've exchanged keys, which happens sort of in that once you send us a message back, then we can actually communicate. And we do. There's many of you with whom we communicate securely. It's encrypted end to end. And John and I share the uh, Mac Geekab certificates only with each other, not with anyone else. And we both know the keys, the, the passcodes to unlock those. So we can both see your encrypted messages, but then those are encrypted end to end. So anybody in the middle can't see your question. Of course, it's a little ironic when we then come on and just read your question and our answers yeah. right live here. But um, so, so yeah, S Mime can do that, but S Mime really stinks on iOS PGP it's,
1: uh, it's unpredictable. Yeah. And that when it should work it doesn't and when I don't want it to work it does. Yep. Like so and it's what? mostly in the way uh, the rest of the time. That's right.
0: Yeah, so there's S-mime and then there's PGP but uh and there's actually a couple of PGP mail clients on iOS. There's um I IPG Oh man, I can I never remember the names. Yeah, IPG Mail. I got that right. And uh is one that I use and, and there's, there's a couple others, but they're not mail clients. They're more, uh, they're kind of mail clients, but they, you sort of take messages and copy paste them in and around and, and, uh, and manage your keys with these apps. Uh, at unfortunately the GPG suite, which includes GPG mail on Mac OS doesn't actually run on Mac OS. It only runs on OS 10. And that is to say that it does not yet have compatibility with Sierra for mail, which is too bad. So, We'll have to we'll have to wait on that. Yeah, there's there's no real good solution here, John.
1: I'm trying to And th- you know, and I got a fish shake for you, Dave. Yeah, shake it up, man. So in the past, and we have had people, one person actually brought this to my attention and it caught my attention because I got the email too. Yahoo at, at one point had a breach, you know, welcome to the club, breach sure. the club. Yeah. Because they're not alone. Everybody's had a breach of, of some sort. And we all have little bits of data that we'd rather... Not have floating around out there like I still have an address book that somebody grabbed somehow. I don't know if it was through Facebook or what, but anyways, um, if you go to Mail, I, I could hear you about to say, John. <laughs> All right, nope, so Mail you're fine. preferences accounts. <laughs> now you used to be able to see some of the gory details about the uh, ports. Uh, we, we're talking about on uh, on Mac, Mac OS. OS. Okay, got mail. it. Mail. Yep. In the latest indication, it seems that they've made a great effort to hide the details of what they're doing underneath the covers here. And it looks like you can still see it as far as is SSL being used, what ports are being used for both picking up and uh, sending your mail. But it looks like they've hidden a lot of that now. When I was trying to look at this dialogue to you know, verify some settings, I'm like, wait a second, where's all the stuff that used to be here? See what I'm saying? If you i have, do on a sierra machine it looks like they've they've uh slimmed down that section
0: <laughs> yes yes yeah, slim down is uh is the right way to, to to note that yeah you don't there's not a whole lot you can tweak there anymore or at least see yeah
1: it looks like they default it, it's like it defaults to yeah, i'll take care of it yeah and I, and last i saw they make the right decisions you know they'll enable ssl they'll use the right port for you know sending and receiving uh yeah, you know, secure content yeah. via mail.
0: So I just but, um, got uh, in in our chat room today, mattgeekab dot com slash stream. Listener Andy uh, is a Proton Mail user, and so he just sent us a note to our our main uh, feedback address, John. And I looked at it, and it came through unencrypted. It, it's interesting. It it has his message, which is just, "Hey, here's a message." And then the signature is sent from proton mail Swiss based encrypted email, but it came through 100% plain text because I'm able to read it to you. And I, uh, Andy and I have not exchanged keys, uh, or Andy and us have not exchanged keys for his proton mail account. So, uh, it is, it must be encrypted only when it is, um, um, uh, sent to another Proton Mail user, which which obviously makes sense, and it doesn't give any indication of how I might integrate it with other things. We'll have to we'll have to dig more, but that's um, so there we go. Good stuff, cool. But if I let me see if I reply to, although that, he says he did not encrypt it, <clears throat> so he might send us another one. So we'll 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 right. revisit this later in the show.
1: Yeah, because I'm trying to reply and I see the signed icon, but not the encrypt icon, which indicates to me that there was no. Yeah, there's no, there's someone, no. Yeah, if yeah, yeah. They even use an S MIME certificate as part of their scheme.
0: Right, right. We have no idea what they use, but he says he's sending it. Uh, he has to hit the lock button in order for it to encrypt. Yeah, I don't know if he'll be able to if we if he doesn't
1: have our cert. So, yeah. Though I All would right. say in general. If you got something secure to communicate, don't use email. Come on,
0: just. Or if you're going to use email, <laughs> encrypt, well, you 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 know, use something like uh what's that tool for MacPaw? Uh
1: oh, oh, I can't think of the name of it. Uh, oh yeah, they got a, a crypto uh, uh add-on for OS 10 and I think iOS.
0: Yeah, Hyder. Uh Hyder. Yep. So you can check out Hyder and see if uh if, you know, if, if you can, you can encrypt some stuff with that and then maybe send it. I don't know. That would be one way to do it. I think that will let you do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so.
1: So. All right. There's a few things. Yeah. Did you say Mac paw? I did. Yeah. They make another one. I'm not sure if you got to throw down on coin for it called in crypto. Maybe not that's well, what I'm Encry- thinking of. Cause I
0: think Hyder is just for your local stuff.
1: Right. Yeah. It's I, in, sorry. I believe it it's integrates. in crypto. Yeah. 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 All right, So in crypto, yeah, I remember they um yeah, they hooked me up with it and it provides, you know, as good encryption as you're gonna get AES two fifty six. Um, I believe there's a Mac and a Windows, I'm not sure if there's an iOS version. So you can no, it just says Windows and Mac. So if you want to encrypt your files that you send between people that have a Windows or a Mac, encrypto is a solution that'll add another layer. Right. Right.
0: Cool. All right. Um, and, and to, to kind of wrap this up, iMessage will send messages end to end encrypted. If you sent with iMessage and not as a text message, but if it's blue, then that message was sent encrypted end to end. It is auto decrypted on the other end. So there's no, you, you know, keep it encrypted at, uh, I mean, maybe it's encrypted at rest, but it's certainly displayed once you've unlocked your phone. Uh, but it is sent end to end encrypted. Apple cannot decrypt it in the middle. They don't have the keys. The keys actually live on your device and are exchanged through Apple's servers. But only the only thing like the only keys I have of yours, John are your public keys, which let me encrypt things to you, but not decrypt things. And and you have, you have my public key. So that's how we're able to do all this. So, okay. Um, let's move on to Ernesto, John, shall we? Ernesto says, I've been a listener for many years and always love hearing your show. Awesome. Uh, I was thinking of replacing the internal hard drive with an SSD. I have both a time machine backup and a carbon copy clone. If I go through with this, what would be the best way to make sure that my current data is safely transferred back onto the SSD once I put it in? I was thinking that I would make a current backup with both time machine and carbon copy cloner. Then I would securely erase the internal drive. And then I would take it to a service provider where I want to have them put the SSD in. When I get it back, I could restore from the carbon copy clone. Would that be the best path to take? Um, Definitely. So that's one path that path would work right Uh, by just cloning it back. That's the clones are the easiest way to do this stuff. If you're going to pay someone to do the drive swap, and I get that not everybody's comfortable opening up a computer, although I really have to say with either iFixit or Otherworld Computing's instructions, uh, this process is not nearly as terrifying as it used to be. But it still can be a little terrifying and there is risk. So if you're going to pay someone to do it, they may include the data transfer cloning process in their drive swap fee. Ask them about this. Ask them if it would be cheaper if you did that part of it. It might be. Um, you also may not trust them with your data or you might have data that's sensitive for, you know, your job or whatever that you simply cannot trust them with. And and that's OK, too. Um, but either way, even if they say they're going to do all the work for you, doing your time machine and your carbon copy clone before that computer leaves your house is, in my opinion, mandatory because you don't know what's going to happen there. You have to make sure that you have a copy of it. Uh, if you're going to do the drive swap yourself, my advice is to use an external case or even like the, um, the newer tech drive adapter is one of my, uh, one of my favorite things because it, it's like a, it's like an external case that doesn't have a case. So you can just plug a drive in and plug it directly into your computer. Really handy stuff. And, uh, and I would connect your SSD externally first and clone to it that way. Then once you've cloned to the SSD, Mm -hmm. Reboot your machine, but first go into system preferences startup and select the SSD as your startup drive. So now you're booting from that SSD externally. As soon as it boots up, eject the internal disk from the finder. Just hit the little the eject icon in one of the lists or drag it to the trash. That way your internal drive is no longer mounted. You're running from the SSD and you can test it and make sure it works great. Also, your data is there. Assuming it works, then you can do the swap or you could do this. Before you bring it to the service provider. Right. And now you're just giving them a drive and you're saying swap this out and boom, once they put it in, it should boot up fine and everything's good. If you don't let them transfer your data and they're just putting in a blank SSD, the problem is you have no way of knowing if that SSD is going to boot your machine before you take it home and they have no way of testing that for you. So that gets, that's where it gets a little weird. And there might be a problem that you simply don't know about because all they've done is put this SSD in and can't test it. So those are my thoughts on that, John, you,
1: you refined this in the way that I would have is that it sounded like the original proposal involved one too many transfers. It's just transfer right to the SSD yep. from that, verify that it works. And then all that is required is a swap. And then you can erase the old drive. Put it in the same enclosure. Yep. So yeah, you shouldn't have to do multiple clones back and forth, back and forth. Right, right, right. Yeah. All
0: right. Um right. Let's talk about Brooks, John, shall we? Brooks writes. Oh, where are we here? He sent us a screenshot he says, I'm having some weird issues inside Safari that I would call color fringing. I've only noticed it while viewing web pages and it's weird. In fact, he sent us a copy of, or a uh, a screenshot from the TMO from the Mac observer website. And some things like our logo just had weird colors, like white wasn't white. It was showing up as blue. Um, He says, do you think this is fixable or is it a sign that it's time to get the new MacBook pro? Uh, The good news is that if your problems appear to someone else in a screenshot you sent them, chances are it's not hardware uh, because if it's happening on your screen, but when you take a screenshot and show it to me, it doesn't happen. That indicates that there's something about the way it's being displayed on your screen, which could be hardware. Uh, I see this in the screenshot he sent. And so we know that it's likely not hardware. It's also only happening when you views web pages. So. My first thought in any scenario like this is try a different web browser. So, you know, using Firefox, does this happen? And the answer is no. Okay, great. Now we know that this is a problem in Safari. One thing you can do in your web browser, and Safari definitely supports this, is to set a custom style sheet that will be applied to all web pages you visit. There might be a reason you want to do this. If you want fonts to be larger or things not to be below a certain size and you can do some tweaking or certain colors not to be displayed, you could certainly create all sorts of things with your own custom style sheet that manipulate the way a page looks. Of course, uh, that can manipulate it in a way that you might not like. To see if this is enabled, go into Safari, go to the preferences, go to advanced. And then there's there's an option there for style sheet and set that to none selected. Now unfortunately, uh for Brooks, this was already set to none selected, so I'm at a little bit of a loss here, John, as to what the what the next thing to try would be um I would you know try I would try a separate test user to make sure that it's not something about Safari and that it is something with his settings, and if it is his settings then then that's another path to head down but but my you know that test user thing is an awesome way to really isolate whether a problem is system-wide or just with the settings in your user account. Uh, it narrows down a little bit the uh, the haystack that you've got to dig through. What do you think, John?
1: Where did you, you said advanced style sheet? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I see default encoding. That should be Western, assuming you're Western. Uh, right. Um, <sighs> yeah yeah i, yeah. I, I no, was... no 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 no, I got well next to advance there's extensions uh could mm. be an extension we've had oh that's true we had we had someone a few weeks ago had a similar problem something didn't appear the way they expected uh, or didn't behave the, the way they expected or appear the way they expected, and it was due to them uh one of the plugins i think it was click to flash or something which filters flash content um was the culprit so yeah. um there is, what what does what Safari call it this week? Hold on. Um, <laughs> no, if you go to the Safari Safari menu, clear history, which I think does more than clear history, that kind of gives you a clean slate if you have something cached somewhere that you may not want. I'm looking, if you hold down alt, it then says clear history and ke- website data. So oh, yeah. I don't could- think you want, I don't, uh, well, the web di- website data, I don't, I think it includes graphics and stuff. Right, right. I think it's just database tidbits. Yeah. So, yeah. May. so one of those clear options, Onyx also has options to clean up those. I, I think it may be something that's cached because I look at it, I mean, it's the right image. It's right. just, it's like a bit is off or something. Hmm. So it's appearing as, you know, blue on green when it should be. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Green should be. Not green. Yes,
0: it should be. It should be white. Yeah, exactly. Not green. Transparent, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. All right. Uh, I want to. We've got actually lots to do. We've got more sponsors to talk about. I want to talk actually about Brett. Very well. I don't know if it's going to be quick or not, but we'll do Brett. And then uh, and then we'll talk about our uh, our sponsors here. But Brett had an interesting question. He says, I've got a Mac Pro mid 2010, and it seems my internal Bluetooth module has died. I currently have it by I have bypassed it uh, with an by putting in an iOmega USB Bluetooth module. And this seemed to work without me having to change any settings. I have a few questions. Is there a hardware diagnostic that you guys know of that I could run to verify that it is indeed dead and doesn't just need a fresh install to see if it's a software issue? Number two, is USB Bluetooth a viable long-term replacement? And number three, could this be a sign that my Mac Pro's motherboard is starting to fail? All right, so uh, going completely out of order here, th- could it be a sign that your motherboard is starting to fail? It could be, yeah. Um, I don't know. It, it, it's If in fact this has failed, um, then yes, a piece of your motherboard has failed. Um, But typically those kinds of things in my experience don't spread. Uh, It's, you know, whatever the event was that caused this failure has caused it. And now it's done. And it could just be heat of that one particular component, or it could have been some sort of surge. Although surge on a Bluetooth circuit is probably not what happened. That more often happens on like a USB or an ethernet circuit. Um, It could be though, that there's a fan in there that's, not keeping things as cool as it should have been. And so, yeah, um, it could be that your motherboard's starting to fail, but I, I actually wouldn't worry about that. I hear you hemming and hawing over there, John, what do you got to say?
1: I remember looking at this. I don't believe it's a software issue because when he sent his system diagnostics, you can do this. And it's actually very handy. When I looked at the Bluetooth section it said, yep, you got Bluetooth uh, version four LE. Uh, well, that's with the new one.
0: That's not with the old, that's not with the built-in adapter because the Mac, the Mac Pro mid 2010 didn't have Bluetooth 4.0. LE. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. All so, right. so the, all right. So it loaded the right driver for the newer technology. Okay. Cause I looked at it and it was identical to one of my machines, which yeah. actually I think both my machines support that. Okay. now I misread that. Yeah.
0: It. Well, it's, and that's read it right.
1: It, but for the wrong reason.
0: Yeah. The, and that's <laughs> sort of the interesting part. So, um, Let's get to that in a second here. But in terms of is there a hardware diagnostic that you can run, you could unplug the USB Bluetooth adapter and then run a system diagnostic and see what it says. If it says that you have a Bluetooth card in there and nothing connects to it, uh, I would actually try, you know, booting or creating a a clean install of your Mac uh, OS on a different drive and see if Bluetooth works there because that will Tell you whether or not this is you know a hardware thing or a software thing, if you run that diagnostic and it doesn't appear that's more indicative of it being a hardware problem um, but again, it could be software because there are drivers that are loaded for Bluetooth uh, at some level though they are working because when you plug in this new adapter, they seem to be just fine and that's one cool thing um to to address the question is this USB Bluetooth module a viable long term replacement yeah i I think it is um And I, and I say that based on personal experience, the computer that I'm sitting at here is a 2011 iMac, which also did not come with Bluetooth four. So for $4, and I mentioned this recently for $4 from, uh, from Amazon, I bought a off brand. It wasn't the iOmega one, but it probably has a similar chipset, some off brand, you know, little Bluetooth dongle. I mean, the thing is tiny. It barely sticks out of the USB port. Even though the Bluetooth inside my computer was working just fine, as soon as I plugged this in, it took over. And there it it is the, it is as though my internal Bluetooth just doesn't exist. The, the system automatically uses this Bluetooth module to do all of its Bluetoothing, if you will. Um, and I had a couple of devices that needed Bluetooth LE, which is why I, I bought this and I figured for four bucks, great, now I have it on, on both the computers here in the office and the studio. And it works great. I mean it it's it's it it's the most native third party add-on I've ever done because it it's like the system just says, Okay, now your computer is fully Bluetooth for L E and you know you're good, all that stuff.
1: So Yeah, as far as tools on on OS ten there's something called light blue, which Really looks more like a scanner, so I don't know how helpful that'll be because they right. have that built into the OS. There is something if you can get access to developer tools um, called Bluetooth Explorer that kind of digs in a little bit as far as what kind of Bluetooth you got in your machine, and I think it'll let you scan for devices and do some other things. That may be a better solution. I sure. think I forget what they included in. It's in another package. I think it's IO Tools or something. Remember this? It, it, it's in. they they kind of move it around anytime they update the developer tools. But I think it's called IO hardware tools. And that's, that's that's part of G H I. So his his... hardware IO tools, I'm sorry. Okay. So hardware IO tools, uh, 6.3 is where I got that from. So I don't know. There's a newer one, but, but yeah, it's called hardware IO tools. So if you're a developer or, you know, someone who's a developer and you want Bluetooth testing tools, that's, that's what you could do. That's the one.
0: Okay, cool. Uh, He had a follow-up question to this. He said, um, but is there a way to use continuity and handoff now with my Mac now that it has Bluetooth LE? Because that's basically the limiting factor in order to use continuity and handoff. So that if let's say you're typing a mail message on your iPhone and you sit down at your Mac, you can click the little mail icon that magically appears in the dock and it'll slurp in that message from your phone and everything's just hunky dory and all right there. So now that your Mac and my Mac have uh, the hardware required, will continuity and handoff work? And the answer is no, of course they won't work because Apple doesn't just look at what capabilities you have It looks at what model computer you have and decides that it knows what capabilities you have and don't have. However, someone uh, who was it It was Keir Thomas over at uh, Macworld posted a piece, actually Macworld UK posted a piece last year about how to force continuity to work on an unsupported Mac once you have Bluetooth LE added. So we will put a link to that in the show notes, too, because that's pretty darn cool. Don't you think, John? Pretty sure. good, huh? Nice. All right. I, uh, it's time to talk about our second two sponsors. that work for you, John? That works for me. All right. Our next sponsor for this episode is Casper. Casper.com slash MGG, where coupon code MGG is going to save you 50 bucks off an already shockingly fair-priced mattress. Memory foam, latex foam. It's like a foam sandwich that cuddles you just perfectly when you sleep, or at least it cuddles me just perfectly. This is the best mattress I've ever slept on. Memory foam, but also latex for a sleep surface that's got just the right sink and just the right bounce. It's amazing how low they're able to keep their prices with these, what I consider highest quality mattresses I've ever experienced. Yesterday here in our town, we had a a mattress sale to support the local high school hockey team. I heard some people talking about it, about previous ones they've done saying, oh, this is going to be amazing. They have such great prices on these mattresses and they do. They're saying they're like, oh, they're 50% off list and all that stuff. I don't know what list is on these other mattresses, but uh, this one woman was telling me how she bought a mattress and she basically described what you would get with a Casper. And she said, yeah, normally 2,900 bucks. And we were able to get it for 2,200. It's amazing. And we love it. Like, holy cow, man. You could buy almost three of Casper's most expensive mattresses for that. That's crazy talk to me. And and here's the thing. The price of a Casper mattress is just dependent on its size. So the most expensive mattress that Casper sells is $950. That's for a king. That's fine. That's actually a great price for a mattress. And you, because you're smart and you've already been listening, you know... That you're not going to pay $950. You pay $900 because you get $50 off with coupon code MGG at Casper.com slash MGG. You also get free delivery and free returns and a hundred night home trial. If you don't love this mattress, Casper will come and pick it up and refund you everything. You pay nothing. Check it out Casper.com slash MGG, coupon code MGG saves you 50 bucks with free shipping off of any mattress that Casper sells. Our thanks to Casper for supporting this show. Our next sponsor is a favorite product of mine, and that's Eero. If you visit Eero.com, that's where you can get my current favorite mesh wireless router system. If you listen to last week's deep dive episode, you know how great my experience with Eero has been. And I am stoked that they are a sponsor of this show. And I'll point out that my preference for Eero has nothing to do with the fact that that they're a sponsor. It has everything to do with the fact that they build a product that simply works. You can buy Eeros in packs of one, two, or three. You can buy more than that if you like, but they sell them in packs of one, two, or three. Most homes are going to do fine with a two-pack. Some homes are going to require a three-pack No one's going to have a bad experience with a three-pack, though, so I still really do recommend the three-pack. As we discussed last week, the single router model doesn't work when you've got lots of devices that need to be online at the same time. Radios in the routers are just not built to share very well. What's better is to have multiple radios. That's what Eero does. And it manages this Wi-Fi mesh in your home in a distributed way that totally blankets your home with Wi-Fi. My experience is it blankets far more than your home. It blankets your home and your yard everywhere I've tested it. And it's worked out really, really well. It also doesn't come with a very complex management interface, but it's a very full-featured one. You can set... Uh, Reservations for addresses. You can set what range you want your DHCP server to use. Or if you don't care about any of that stuff, you just set it up and it works. It also will manage which devices are connected to which radios so that if one person's streaming Netflix and another person wants to stream Netflix, they're both not necessarily fighting for space on the same radio. Eero will look at that and kind of steer things in the right direction. It makes this process very, very simple. What you do is you buy Eero, you set it up with their iPhone or Android app, and then you're done. That's it. And now you have whole house Wi-Fi. No more dead spots. If you happen to put an Eero somewhere that isn't perfect, it'll realize that and tell you inside the app so that you can move it. You got to check this out. Again, that's just visit Eero.com. E-E-R-O.com. Use coupon code MGG to get free expedited shipping. And you can have Eero blanketing your house in Wi-Fi. And you'll never worry about a dead spot again. Our thanks to Eero for doing what they do and for sponsoring this episode. All right, John, one quick follow-up. While we were doing that, Andy in the chat room pointed to a uh, continuity activation tool uh, that's posted to GitHub. And he says, I use this to get continuity on my 2011 Mac mini. So we will put that into the show notes too, so that, uh, so that you folks can find that there. And, uh, and I might actually do that on this machine, but not right now because we're recording a podcast and that's really, really bad advice uh, to, uh, to make changes, wholesale changes to your computer or your network while you're recording, even though John and I do it all the time, bill, however, Asked a question. He says, a week ago, I used Migration Assistant to move my wife's files and set up from a carbon copy cloner backup to a new 2016 MacBook running Sierra. When I tried to connect her new MacBook to the time capsule using Time Machine, a keychain error is displayed. And the keychain error is keychain error negative two five two nine nine occurred while creating a system keychain entry for the username and his wife's name is there. And then the URL and it points to AFP colon slash slash slash. And it lists the name of their time capsule in URL form. And it says uh, you can try using the keychain access utility to edit the system keychain. I took a look and I did some searching and I got kind of lucky because error two fi- negative two five negative two five two nine nine is included in one of uh, Safari Books Online's books. And it just so happens that the uh, screenshot of the page of the book includes what that error means. The item already exists So there's something in the keychain that ain't right. And John, I think you've been through this recently,
1: right? Yeah. In addition to just time machine. Well, being being time machine. Yeah. Unreliable over Wi-Fi, as far as we know. Right. Um, I got this exact same error when I was trying to uh, start my uh, setup fresh. And yeah, the solution is, so, um, you know, fish shake for using a numerical error code. It's like, uh, though they kind of explain what the problem is. The way to solve this, or the way I solved it, is to just um, go on a a deletion spree in the keychain. (laughs) Be careful, though. So basically, I uh, I found anything. So you can search. And I think the... the, So when you start up keychain access, uh, passwords is probably where you want to be. So there are a number of categories. Passwords will halt limited. And I forget if it was system or login, one or the other that's the other choice that you make. but then i searched for the name of the volume and the entry came up and i deleted it you highlight it and you hit the delete key i think is all that it takes so for some reason it wasn't smart enough to re you know put it in again i I just never seen this error before and it was it was complaining about something that shouldn't be a problem it's like well yeah it's already here okay what why is that bad well, maybe it was corrupted or
0: who knows? I mean, who know I, I the suspect
1: over didn't work,
0: yeah, exactly,
1: yeah, so I've run into this error cool. um and yeah again, my passwords uh, uh, a damaged keychain password entry of some sort is usually responsible for this in my experience, and then I deleted it and re-entered my password and everything was great, sweet, awesome, so hopefully
0: that'll uh that'll that'll work for Bill too Jason writes uh. And Jason's the one who had his uh, his Mac hacked. So now he has a VPN set up. We talked about this a while back. We had screen sharing port forwarded to his Mac and he no longer does that. Separate question. Uh, He says, I have an audio question that I thought you might be in a good position to answer, Dave, since you are a home recording guy. In addition to being a podcaster, he says, I have a home studio with a universal audio Apollo interface fronting Pro Tools. I'd like to start doing interviews with my parents to share them with my greater family, but I need a decent quality, portable recording solution. I prefer to use something through my iPad since I normally travel with it, but I can drag along my MacBook Pro if absolutely necessary. What do you suggest? And this is a question that I've sort of been wanting to answer for myself, too. So I set about doing a little bit of experimentation yesterday. Uh, GarageBand. On the iPad, will support multi-track recording. You have to go into the setting, go inside GarageBand, go to the settings, and you just turn it on. The settings thing is in the upper right-hand corner in GarageBand on the iPad. You turn on allow multi-track recording. What this lets you do is record multiple tracks simultaneously. GarageBand will always let you mix multi-tracks, but at least on my iPad Mini Four, so I would assume anything recent, uh, it also allows you to record multiple tracks. And I was able to record four tracks simultaneously with no noticeable issues on the device. I believe GarageBand on the iPad has an eight track maximum. So my guess is that eight is the maximum that you could record simultaneously. Now, the trick is the iPad doesn't have eight inputs. So you need something that can do eight inputs. And for that, I used the Focusrite Scarlett 18i8 audio interface. Now, this is a... uh, uh, external USB connected interface. So I I had that. I had the the Scarlet separate from the iPad. It has a USB cable that comes out of it. I then used Apple's USB connection kit to plug the Scarlet into the Lightning port on my Mac. And uh, sorry, it was the USB camera connection kit. I don't know what I said, but. Uh, And then it just worked like like GarageBand was like, oh, I see you have an audio interface. We'll use that. And uh, and it worked great. In fact, I could even plug headphones. It wouldn't use it for sound output. GarageBand would not. Um, So I plugged headphones into the iPads headphone jack, and I was able to monitor my signal coming through the iPad with very little latency, certainly nothing that that would be noticeable uh in a recording environment. Now you, you in in your scenario here, Jason, you might not even need to uh, have people monitor, but you might want to monitor so that you can hear if there's any hiccups or 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 anything like that. And it all happens very much in real time and really just worked. Um, if you're doing it uh you can if you have a USB microphone, you can plug that directly in again, you'd probably need the camera connection kit. The camera connection kit really just gives you a USB A port on one end and a lightning port on a light. Yeah. A lightning port or lightning connector on the other. And it just sort of makes that all happen. So it's not just for cameras, obviously, but, um, but yeah, it works really, really well. And I, and, and separately, I've been super impressed with this Scarlet interface, man. It, it sounds fantastic. Those mic preamps on there. I, I tried four different uh, dynamic mics cause I wanted to see how that worked. And I actually tried some condensers too. And man, these mic prees are just clean, clean, clean. Really, really nice, and a and a relatively portable box. I'm I'm tempted to bring this um, this 18i8 with us. If I have to pack a bag for CES, I'll almost certainly bring this with us so that we can have it for like doing our our uh, TMO's daily observations, daily podcasts there. Uh, so that we can have you know m- multiple mics just plugged in, and we don't have to hand microphones around in the in the room when we've got you know three or four of us on the, uh, on the show because the scarlet obviously would work with the Mac too. It, it, it work. it plugs in just fine, but, um, yeah, it, it, the iPad and GarageBand worked really well. I tried doing the recording with Ferrite, which is a, an audio mixing app, and it'll let you mix multi-track on the iPad, but it would only record the first two channels. It wouldn't let me, it wouldn't see channels three or four. So I think Ferrite's really only built for two tracks of multi-track recording, even though it's, it's um, used by a lot of people for mixing. Any uh, any thoughts or anything, John,
1: on this? No, my recording needs are more than fulfilled.
0: More than more than fulfilled. All right. Uh, let's see. What else do we have here, John? Let's move to Jürgen. And Jürgen writes. Let me get this right here. He says, since upgrading to Sierra, jurgen you're not alone by this, by the way, on this. There's going to be many of you that say, I wrote in the same thing and you did. Uh, since upgrading to Sierra, I have a very strange thing happening. Every now and then icons in the dock change their appearance. They go from the normal icon to just a generic icon piece of paper with the kind of A in front of it, simplifying a signifying application. I've seen this too, Jürgen." Uh, there's something about the Sierra upgrade that did this for lots of us. It seems uh, the good news is that it is very simple to fix. If you run Onyx, which is available for free in the cleaning section, there are check marks for doc icons and icon services. So I turned off everything, but those two check boxes and I hit, uh, I think go or clean or whatever it is right there on the Onyx interface. And I let it do it. And then I reboot, after i run onyx because it you know it's clearing out things and i don't know how os 10 is going to behave after that so i always just reboot to start things fresh and uh and since i did that I, I have not had this problem again so and i yep i'm seeing tons of you in the chat room saying yep same same you've seen it too so something about sierra did this icon huh. services and dock icons in onyx is the uh is the key
1: so i don't know Have you haven't seen it john I haven't seen it. I'll, I'll mention one other thing which can be used to uh, solve. Sure. Dock problems. And that's a, that's to kill the dock. Now you kill the dock Well, you go into terminal and you say kill all space dock. And it restarts the dock process. I yep. could do it too. Though yep. it sounds like in this case it was, I'd lean towards it being, yes, corrupt, cached data. Yeah. So I've had, I've had to do kill all sometimes when the dock just became totally unresponsive. that. That's why you need to do it sometimes. Yep.
0: Yep. Yeah. It's crazy.
1: Crazy, crazy,
0: John. All right. Uh, let's look. Um, well, let's see, where are we here? Well, 13. well, let's go. Let's go to Mike here. I think we'll, we'll wrap up with, with Mike. Like, I think these other ones that we have might, might go longer than we want to go. Uh, and Mike's who knows might go longer. Mike says I'm a Comcast customer. And stumbled across their secure Wi-Fi profile downloaded for download that's available for iOS. I started the installation and noticed that it wanted to add three Wi-Fi networks. The Xfinity in all caps, which is a secure network using WPA. Xfinity Wi-Fi in all lowercase, which uses no encryption. And cable Wi-Fi that also uses no encryption. These are not actually secure networks. And any traffic while connected to them could be compromised. Is that right? Right. And the answer is that that is right. So what Comcast has done is they've got a uh, on their access points that are at some businesses and, and some homes. In addition to this Xfinity Wi-Fi network that they've been doing for a while recently. And when I say recently, I mean, within the last couple of years, they have added to that a secure WPA encrypted network called just Xfinity Um The thing is, you don't know the password for this Xfinity network and neither do I. So in order to get this password onto your iOS device, Comcast does it by way of a profile. That way, people like John, who aren't Comcast customers, can't log into this network. You have to be a Comcast customer in order to download the profile to your device. So in theory, you could download the profile to your device and then... Uh, Stop being a Comcast customer, but I think it actually logs your Mac address in their backend system. So at some point it would stop working for you, but suffice to say you install this profile. And as you noted, Mike, when you install this profile, it lets you see what the profile is going to do. And all this profile does is installs not one, but three wireless networks and it installs them in their preferred order. So Xfinity is at the top and that's the one that has the password baked into it. Inside the profile, and then the other two are networks that you are, as a Comcast customer allowed to connect to, and it adds those in as well. but you're right. without being connected to an encrypted Wi-Fi network, any data you send over that connection could be sniffed by other people uh, in the vicinity, and that's the beauty of connecting to an encrypted network is the, the password encrypts your Wi-Fi connection as well. so yeah. Uh, there's nothing, nothing inherently wrong with with the setup that, that Comcast has done. It just it it sets up the cascade so that if it doesn't see the Xfinity network, it'll fall back to Xfinity a Wi-Fi or cable Wi-Fi. So you you don't have an encrypted way of doing this, right, John? With with your provider, I know other providers do it different ways, but
1: yeah. Now is yours. Is yours actually a VPN entry? Do you have an entry for your Xfinity in your VPN section? No, no, it's just it's just a profile for that has a Wi-Fi network in it.
0: So, like, I could create one of these profiles for my home, so that I didn't have to give people my password here at home, and I could just say, "Here's the
1: here's the profile," and and all. I guess of what I'm is asking is network. is a certificate any part of this? No, it
0: is a profile. That's all. Right.
1: It is. I I understand what you're saying. Uh, yeah, there's in, no certificate in 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 iOS. In the profile section, it shows certificates. So I just uh, I'm, I just want to be clear that what they're offering you is not a um, okay. It's it's. I mean it. The, the it sc- doesn't involve a certificate. You, you don't have a, a piece of certificate data that is part of doing this. Well, the profile is
0: signed by Comcast certificate, so that I know that they provided this cert for me, and so iOS knows that Comcast provided okay. the cert.
1: Yeah. so cert is part of this secure solution. No. A cert is part of the
0: profile, right? So when you install the profile in order that the profile itself is signed, it's not using the cert necessarily to connect to the Wi-Fi network. It's using the cert to prove that, yes, this certificate, this profile came from Comcast and it's
1: it's signed all the way up. Does that make sense? All right, so you'll see a Wi-Fi network with a certain name and because you have a corresponding profile it allows you to log in. Correct. So I may see that too but because I don't have a profile from them. And you don't like know the pa- pa- and or you don't know the password. That's right. Yeah. And they haven't provided they haven't provided me with a piece of data that has that password baked That's in. That's correct. Okay. That's I right. Get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The way I got to solve this because yeah, our uh, although it's nice to have the uh, Optimum Wi-Fi almost everywhere I go. Um, it saves me a lot on uh, cell data. It's not secure, so I have to use a VPN, which means that I either open VPN into my Synology, or you know, there's a number of products. I think I have three of them yeah. <laughs> on here right now. So TunnelBear is one, Speedify is another. We just saw those guys. Hey guys, yep. and uh, OpenVPN are the three VPN options that I have on my phone right now. So if I'm out and about on a insecure connection and i'm doing something i think requires security i'll enable a vpn yep yep
0: yep um i will point out actually we might as well answer mike's second half of his question uh he asked is there any way to auto trigger a vpn connection um especially not one that's dependent on the wi-fi network i'm uh, uh, i'm on he says uh, it would be great. He says that he runs an open VPN on his Netgear R8500 at home, uh, which works great. Is there a way? He wants to know if there's a way to automatically connect to that when he's on an unsecured Wi Fi network, which would be great. There is not, though. There is no trigger in iOS to look at the type of encryption or anything about your Wi Fi network or anything at all to trigger an auto VPN connection. Um, the good news is that, well, yeah, once you turn on the VPN, it should keep trying to connect back to that mm-hmm. VPN ongoing. And, and I know like TunnelBear will do that for sure. It, it just like it's it's insistent about, nope, we're just going to stay connected. Um, but uh, but even the I, I've had it where the iOS VPN will try and stay connected. It's not quite as persistent as as TunnelBear. But uh, but you're not going to be using the iOS VPN if you're connecting to an open VPN server. So it really depends on the VPN app that you're using. And then you do Open VPN, right, John? Does that does that persist in reconnecting over time?
1: It it seems to be pers- Yeah, when it's um yeah if I if I bop between Wi-Fi and uh, and uh, cell data, uh, typically the the VPN icon will stay on. Sometimes it it loses hope and. And just on on VPNs. Yeah. So every now and then, you know, once I've engaged that, I'll glance at it and just uh, like most clients should be persistent and like, oh, I I'm on a different network. Let me renegotiate this. Right, 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 right. But, uh, you know, it, it, it seems it would be just one step beyond what they do now, because now they're smart enough. You know, of course, now in iOS 10. If you are on an insecure network, which is basically a network that you join without providing a password, it'll say, hey, you're on an insecure network. Why couldn't it? Why couldn't they put a dialogue there saying, um, by the way, if this happens, can you switch on one of these VPNs that you also know about and are in the same section of the, I- of the yeah. <laughs> interface? Right? It's like, it, to me, it would just seem to be a natural progression of events. I don't disagree with you. And yeah, yeah. They know. I I know that the connection's not secure. So why don't I do something about well, let's it? Let's do something about that. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Maybe an iOS 11 or maybe 10. Dot. Uh, yeah. At. While, while
0: we're talking about, and I know we're we're running over on time, whatever that means. But uh, <laughs> we're, you, you mentioned Speedify. Speedify does a cool thing. We've talked about them before as cool stuff found, but uh, they keep updating the app and, and they're very active in in terms of m- making sure the service uh, remains compatible with, with, you know, uh, OS updates and all that. What Speedify does is it uses a VPN and it certainly has the benefit of being a VPN. However, really what it's built for is to make sure that you are on a network that has service so we've all experienced those scenarios where you connect to something like the Xfinity Wi-Fi network and it shows, you know, full strength. And you're like, "Woo, I got Wi-Fi, man. And nothing works. Right. Uh, because for whatever reason, even though you've got a Wi-Fi signal, it doesn't have a signal back to the Internet. And the iPhone is not great about uh, about this. It will just connect and be like, yeah, no, we'll send all the data that way and nothing happens. So what Speedify does is it uses the VPN back to Speedify servers. And once you're doing a VPN, iOS actually lets you pick which connection or connections you want to use to send that data. So it sees that you have a Wi-Fi connection and it checks to see if they see you from that Wi-Fi connection, because now you've got this VPN connection to their server. So it looks and says, ah, does that person actually have connectivity or does that device have connectivity over... This Wi-Fi connection, and if the answer is yes, then you can have Speedify jump you and use Wi-Fi. But if it's not, it will stay on your data connection and get your data to and from that way. So when I travel, I use Speedify all the time because I'm I'm on like coffee shop connections and airport connections and you know all that stuff where it's like you know doesn't really work. So uh, so Speedify does a great job of just making sure that. You're you're doing what you want, and you can configure it any way you want. You can say if the Wi-Fi connection is available at the same time as a data connection, only use Wi-Fi, or you can say use both to go as fast as possible. I mean, it, it really has some cool stuff. So, anyway, that's my that's my plug for Speedify. I'm I'm always impressed by them. I don't use them when I'm home, but uh, but when I travel, it's one of my favorite things. So there you go. That's my that's my plug mm-hmm. for Speedify <clears throat>
1: uh, and TunnelBear. I think one thing that's yeah. unique about them is that. In each of their releases, they, they give you a metric as far as how, how many more bears they've included. Mm. So like their last update, they included 11.13% more bears. Well, they're not afraid to tell you about this. No, they're not. That's right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, folks, it's that time. So here we are. We're not going to tell you the email because we already told you that. We already did. That's right. Uh, if you like, though, you can learn more about MacGeekUp Premium at, uh, at MacGeekUp.com. That, uh, that will bring you right there, or you can go to MacGeekUp.com slash premium. That'll bring you right into the store. Uh, we've got a new uh, interface for managing that for new folks, and we're migrating older users over all the time here. So thank you so much for your support. Thank you for your patience while we migrate things around. But you should still be able to access your accounts. And obviously, if you have any problems, let us know. But we really do appreciate your support. And uh, if you're able to and you're interested, please visit us at macgeekhub.com slash premium so, uh, so that you can join us there, too. It's a, it's a wonderful
1: thing. And we really appreciate it. And if you support us, we may put in a good word. With Santa, so you may get a little extra in your stocking. That's right. So
0: in this episode, uh, the uh, th- those those premium supporters that we'd like to thank are Jurgen, Jason, uh, Bill, Brett Brooks. I'm looking here. Dave, Michael, Ken times two, and Paul. So thank you all very much, and thank all of you who uh, all the rest of you who are premium supporters as well. Really appreciate it. All right, John. Uh, any of you can call us or text us if you like at 224 888 Geek, which John is 4335. And please visit us at slash Facebook. We've got a great group there. Uh, you folks are awesome. And uh, and let us know what you think of the new show notes. We put, I put a post up in Facebook kind of uh, highlighting the, the differences. We're integrating chapters and links all together here. So. Uh, It's been interesting, great discussion about that and lots of other things in our Facebook group. We'd love to see there. MacGeekHub.com slash Facebook. I want to thank all of our great sponsors. Uh, That includes Eero, as we mentioned in the show, where MGG gets you free expedited shipping. Casper.com slash MGG, where MGG saves you 50 bucks. Videoblocks at videoblocks.com slash MGG, where you can save 100 bucks on what they do there. And, of course, Drobo at, M, at uh, drobostore.com, where MGG20 saves you 20%. Also, Gazelle at gazelle.com. Fat Cat Software at fatcatsoftware.com slash MGG. Smile at smilesoftware.com slash geek. Otherworld Computing at maxsales.com. And Barebones Software at barebones.com. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for sticking with us these extra 10 minutes or so while we delved into what turned into a little bit of a VPN deep dive. We'll do a little more of that. I've got some VPN questions that, uh, that we got to get to John. So we will start prepping that stuff. We will answer your questions. We will have a great week. We hope you have a great week. And please, please, please no wagering, but also don't get caught.
1: May